Kyle Pitts won't be at mandatory minicamp because he's still recovering from his knee injury, but I'm not worried. You are Locked On Falcons, your daily Atlanta Falcons podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. So, guys, you know me. I'm Aaron Freeman, a.k.a. Mr. Drew, a.k.a. Sirius Black. And, of course, the very humble host of this illustrious Locked On Falcons podcast, or daily Atlanta Falcons podcast, part of Locked On Sports Atlanta, your team every day. And we thank everyone that makes this illustrious podcast their first listen each and every day. Make sure you follow their footsteps by subscribing or following for free on YouTube or wherever you listen to podcasts. So today was day one of mandatory mini camp uh, and the Falcons had nearly 100% participation. Uh, Only four players that were on the roster did not participate in mandatory mini camp, according to Arthur Smith's update. And those players were Kyle Pitts, Caleb Huntley, Eddie Goldman, and Avery Williams. Now, obviously uh, all of those players are coming off of some form of injury or absence in the case of Eddie Goldman. And obviously with Avery Williams suffering his torn ACL last week, uh, we will not expect him back until next year. Uh, So the fact that he missed camp is just essentially because the Falcons have yet to officially put him on IR and, and probably won't need to put him on IR until they actually make another roster move to bring somebody in. Uh, But all the other guys, Pitts, Huntley and Goldman, are at least according to Arthur Smith on track or trending towards being back for training camp. And, you know, with Kyle Pitts specifically, he's returning from that torn MCL that he suffered uh, in week what 11 or 12 last year uh, against the Chicago bears. And, you know, initially you sit here and you go, well, isn't a MCL as opposed to an ACL uh, MCL is a relatively short term knee injury two, three months tops uh, for a player to recover. And we're now almost, what, six months, uh, over six months uh, removed from him suffering that injury. He's still not back. But I wouldn't be too worried about it. Really, essentially for me, I'm not going to worry about Kyle Pitts' recovery from this knee injury until he misses time in camp. And if he misses time in camp, and it sounds like he won't miss time in camps, and given Pitts' value to the offense, and we've already talked about several times on this podcast over the last couple of weeks, with guests and myself, you know, talking about how he's kind of the most important weapon on the offense. We'll talk a little bit later about who the alpha in the offense is going to be, and that could very well be Kyle Pitts. So because of his value to this football team, it makes sense to me why the Falcons are kind of slow playing his return in the sense that we're at the phase in the offseason where, you know, we're in glorified walkthroughs and, and seven on sevens. And, you know, they'll do a little bit more at mandatory minicamp, but there's no reason to get him out on the field now, as opposed to later this summer, where it's a little bit more important when, you know, players will be going much closer to full speed in practice. But, you know, I think missing camp would be a concern for me because, Frankly, at that point in time, you know, eight months removed from an MCL tear, uh, you would expect the player to be 100% recovered. You know, uh, you would expect, you know, as I said, three months removed from an MCL tear, you would expect the player being at least close to 100%. Um, not to mention the notion of how important Pitts is and how important it is 
for him and Desmond Ritter to get on the same page every day that he misses a practice in training camp is one less day that he and Ritter can build that rapport uh, for those guys. So I won't worry about Kyle Pitts's knee issue until we get to July. And Arthur Smith says, yeah, Kyle Pitts is not back to practice. That will be like, uh Oh, okay. But until then, not going to worry too much about it. But talking about some of these other players, Eddie Goldman, we've talked about before on the podcast, how Eddie Goldman, given the fact that he's, not played a ton of football over the last couple of years. You know, he did play in 2021, retired last year. He also sat out 2020 due to COVID. Um, You know, it it seems like the Falcons are slowly ramping things up for him as well. Again, this is all kind of part of a trend with Arthur Smith. We saw his first preseason here in Atlanta where he basically refused to play any of the starters uh, outside of a few snaps. You know, Kyle Pitts played like four snaps or two snaps or something like that in his opening summer. And you guys... If you were watching the podcast or listening to the podcast back then, because I don't think we were on YouTube yet. We didn't get on YouTube till October of 2021. Um, you know, I was very critical of that, but this has been a trend for Arthur Smith. He's very, very cautious when it comes to injuries. So again, Eddie Goldman, Kyle Pitts, not necessarily being out there isn't something that I'm too worried about. Huntley, similar issue, but because of the nature of the injury that Huntley is coming off, coming off that Achilles, you know, we just saw a player, James Robinson, get cut by the Patriots, still a year and a half removed from his Achilles tear. Um, and we've talked before about how that's an injury specifically for running backs, whether we're talking about James Robinson, Marlon Mack, uh, Cam Akers, uh, who's the other, Dante Foreman. You know, it, it takes the better part of like two years for guys to, to really recover from that. So my expectation for Caleb Huntley all along has been, this year was kind of going to be a redshirt year for him uh, where the Falcons would probably wait till we get to the opening of training camp and, and decide to put him on the pup list. And it sounded like Arthur Smith was kind of hinting around that when he talked to the media on Tuesday, which is like, don't make a decision about Caleb Huntley at the beginning of tra- training camp and see where he's at. And basically we'll, we'll, we'll go further into it when, if, and when the time comes, but basically the physically unable to perform list or the pup list, the PUP, whatever you want to call it, there's two versions of it, right? There's the training camp version, which is the active pup list. And then there's the regular season version, which is the reserve pup list. And in order to be eligible for the regular season one, you have to go on the active one at the beginning of camp. If you don't go on the active one, you won't be eligible for the reserve one during a regular season. And basically that reserve one basically allows a player to basically miss the first four weeks of the season. It's essentially like being on IR, right? For the first four games of the year. And then the way the rules work. And again, we'll, we'll, we'll go deeper into this uh, if, if need be later in July when a decision will have to be made. But basically there's like a five week window starting in week five where the player can come off of that and and if he doesn't, then he spends the rest of the year on IR. And my thinking has been that they would probably kind of use that to redshirt Huntley because they wouldn't necessarily need him because of how deep they are at the running back position. Although with the Avery Williams injury, it does open up the door for the Falcons to keep a fourth running back as we kind of thought alongside, you know, Avery Williams, Cordero Patterson, Tyler Algier, and, and of course, B. John Robinson would be the four running backs that they would kept and it would put Huntley on the outside so they, they could stash Huntley right on this pup list, you know, redshirt him for a year and then bring him back next year, potentially when Cordero Patterson's a free agent and not resigned or whatever to be sort of that RB three. But now with Avery Williams being out, you know, that does open the door for a fourth running back to potentially make the roster. But again, I think more likely that roster spot will go to a special teams player, potentially someone who winds up winning that vacant 
uh, punt return job that Williams is vacating. So uh, we'll, we'll see what happens with Huntley again. We'll get an update, you know, at the beginning of training camp and what his status is. And again, uh, if he, he does go on the pup list, then we can go deeper into exactly what that means as we get closer uh, to that date in July when the Falcons have to make that decision uh, ahead of training camp. But one player that is back in mini- mandatory minicamp and in fact is back sooner after suffering a reportedly more severe knee injury than Kyle Pitts is Taquan Graham, who's recovering from his ACL tear. And we'll answer a listener question as we continue today's episode about what exactly his role will be in Atlanta. Will he be Grady Jarrett's backup, David Onyemata's backup, Calais Campbell's backup? We'll break it down as we continue today's Locked on Falcons. But first, guys, I want to tell you to make a fast break to the NBA playoffs because right now, you can get a no-sweat first bet up to $2,500. That's right, $2,500 back in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. And while the NBA playoffs are technically over, as I say this right now, because the Nuggets took it home, uh, it's not the only thing that you can bet on over at FanDuel. That's the NBA draft that's coming up next week. You got the NFL upcoming season, whether you want to bet on the Falcons winning the NFC South, you want to bet on Bijan Robinson being Offensive Rookie of the Year, or whatever you want to bet on, Major League Baseball, tennis, golf, whatever you want, volleyball, I'm sure you can find, uh, you know, Major League Soccer, Atlanta United, all that stuff and more. So there's no better place than America's number one sports book that is FanDuel. So visit FanDuel.com slash locked on and get your no sweat first bet up to $2,500. That's FanDuel.com slash locked on FanDuel, an official sports betting partner of the MBA. So, um, you know, Taquan Graham was back at mandatory minicamp going through practice drills, meaning that he is recovered from his ACL tear, which again is a much more severe injury than the MCL tear that Kyle Pitts suffered, which is again, why I feel like Arthur Smith is being extra cautious with Kyle Pitts, as opposed to this is a concern. Uh, The fact that TQ is coming is already back means that I think Kyle Pitts is probably ready to go back, but the Falcons aren't doing that. So that's good news that TQ is back that there seemingly has been no setbacks on his recovery from that reported ACL tear from last year. And that leads us into a question from Lennox McAfee at ATL dirty bird 65 on Twitter. He has, what do you envision to Quan Graham's role to be in this defense? I think it would be interesting to see him on the edge behind Calais from time to time. But I think him backing up Grady is more likely either way. I'd love to hear your thoughts on the guy as well as his projected projection. I think he is playing well before he got injured last year. Um, Yeah, I kind of expect TQ to be kind of that jack of all trades type of backup. You know, you'll see a lot on early downs to help stuff the run and and keep some of those veteran players like Grady Jarrett, David Onyemata, Calais Campbell, fresher for those passing situations. Um, As for playing edge behind Campbell, I think that's something – that Graham could do. He does have some experience playing on the edge the last two seasons in Atlanta, at least according to PFF, about 14% of his career snaps have come playing when he lined up outside the tackle. And that's relatively high for interior defensive lineman. If you compare it to say David Onyemata, only about 1% of his snaps since 2017 came playing outside the tackle. And you compare that to Calais Campbell in his three years combined in Baltimore over the last three years, only about 12% of his snaps came playing edge uh, in Baltimore. So there's certainly a, where, a world where we could see Taquan Graham playing edge, especially in a world if Zach Harrison isn't quite ready to to be Campbell's primary backup. As I mentioned when we broke down uh, Harrison uh, a week or two ago, 
uh, that he's kind of expected to be the main backup behind Calais Campbell in the quote unquote Cam Jordan role uh, out on the edge and, and help keep Campbell fresh on passing downs. Uh, and that will lead to Harrison getting a lot of reps on early downs and rundowns. Uh, but if you listen to that scouting report, you heard me say Harrison's um, run defense at Ohio State was very suspect, very questionable, whatever you want to call it. Uh, and if that doesn't get quickly fixed in the NFL, uh, I think we could see a world where the Falcons opt for Taquan Graham for that role as opposed to Zach Harrison, because basically if Harrison, as I said in that episode, if Harrison you know, can't hold up against the run, in this scheme with the Falcons playing light boxes, you know, he ain't going to play um, at least not as a rookie. Let's let, uh, you know, I'm not trying to make long-term judgments on Zach Harrison, but you know, as a rookie, that that's what his primary role needs to be. Uh, other players that could also fill those shoes, Timmy Horn, Joe Gaziano are also in the mix there and they have a little bit more experience and have shown themselves to be capable run defenders in limited action in the NFL as well. So, my expectation is that we'll probably see a lot of Graham on the interior, though, because, again, my expectation is that Harrison will be fine, right? You know, Ryan Nielsen will make sure, uh, given his intensity um, there, that Harrison will be fine on the edge. And so that will allow Graham to play more on the interior. And you'll see him playing that three-tech role, you know, which is lined up over the outside shoulder of the guard um, in the B-gap or, you know, You'll also see Eddie Goldman being the primary one tech on those early downs, which is the outside shoulder of the center and the A gap. And, you know, I think Graham has the versatility, the size, the quickness to be able to play across the D line. So it doesn't really matter. You know, I think all of those spots would work for him. He'd be effective in that. I think that's kind of the beauty of, of TQ along with Grady Jarrett, Anyamata, Campbell, all of those guys have played across the D-line over the course of their careers. They have versatility. And so you can kind of mix and match them however you want, however you please. Uh, and, you know, it'll be interesting to pay attention to where and who gets work where uh, during the course of, of the summer and training camp and preseason. But frankly, I think the specific techniques and roles that each of these guys plays is probably not going to be as meaningful moving forward for this defense as it has been in the past, uh, going back to the conversation we had earlier this week, where because the Falcons could be very multiple in their fronts, um, it doesn't really matter kind of where some of these guys line up because they're going to be, you know, here, you know, this technique, one play in this gap, the next play over this player, one play, you know, that sort of thing. And now it, that contrasts with how the Falcons were when Dan Quinn was here, where the Falcons played primarily in one front the vast majority of the time which was that 4-3 under front, and it did matter a little bit more as exactly what your role was going to be in the defense, but I don't think that's going to be a major issue for this team this season. And as far as production for Graham is, hard to, to make a projection. You know, the interesting thing with him is going to be how much growth has he had as a pass rusher, right? Like TQ last year was very effective as a run defender, an occasional guy that could collapse the pocket um, because of how powerful he is and his length and his power, right? He has very long arms, like almost like a seven foot wingspan. I think he's like 82 or 83 inches, um, very powerful. And so he can kind of bully guys in, in a lot of ways. 
but he really had trouble disengaging from blocks and he didn't really have any pass rush moves other than just, I'm going to bully you into the quarterback. And so that led to him not having any sacks, but it did have him a number of hits. In fact, I think there was a certain point, like maybe five, six weeks into the season, he actually was leading the team in quarterback hits because he was able to bully guards and, and centers and whatnot, you know, to collapse the pocket, but the quarterback would be able to get all, get the pass off before, you know, he could disengage from that, that offensive lineman in order to make the sack and whatnot. And so I'll be curious to see if TQ has learned a pass rush move. Right. And, you know, this is goes back to the conversation you'll constantly hear me have when we evaluate players, you know, this is year three for TQ. Um, and this is kind of the year where you need to start putting together for a pass rusher. Usually it takes the better part of three years for these guys to kind of put it together, especially the guys that really need to hone in on their technique you know, and, and, and tend to rely more on that physicality as opposed to the technicality of, of playing the position. So this is kind of a, I won't say a make or break year for TQ, but in terms of him, you know, sort of whether or not he's going to kind of max out at what he was last year, which is a very solid role player, or does he have another, you know, level to go, another gear in his game, particularly if he can bring a little bit more juice as a pass rusher. I think this year is is the year that he needs to start to put that together. But uh, I hope that answers your question. Uh, and we got one more listener question, uh, w- which focuses on who's going to be that alpha in the Falcons offense this year. And we'll get into that on uh, today's Lockdown Falcons. But guys, we're at that point in the summer where, you know, not a whole lot's going on. You know, we got mandatory minicamp, but, you know, there isn't a whole lot. You know, they got some XFL guys and, you know, some guys working out and whatnot, but this is a great time for you guys to submit questions as, um, you know, Linux and our upcoming uh, listener did. Uh, and you can submit those via Twitter like they did uh, at Locked on Falcons via Facebook at Locked on Falcons. You can send an email to Locked on Falcons at mail.com. You can leave a comment here on the Locked on Falcons YouTube cha- channel, or you can jump in the Locked on Falcons discord. There is a link in the description below. So we'll break your listener questions down as we continue on today's Lockdown Falcons and potentially over the next couple of days and weeks as we continue as your first listen. So uh, wrapping up today's episode, and want to give a shout out to my everydayers out there that tune in each and every day. Um, as always, really love you guys' support, especially this time of year. You know, you guys all have the sickness like I do. Uh, you're obsessed with football that you're listening to a football podcast in the middle of June. So I really appreciate that. You know, I, I'm being... I'm not trying to be condescending on purpose, but I'm just sitting there saying like, I, I really do appreciate all you sickos <laughs> out there because <laughs> I'm, I'm just like you, but let's wrap up today's episode answering CJ at Brent Lindsay's question on Twitter. He has um, three questions. In fact, uh, the first one is who is the alpha offensive player that we can rely on for production on a weekly basis this season, Kyle Pitts, Drake London, or B. John Robinson. His second question is Arthur Smith versus Ryan Nielsen will have more success based off of scheme and player personnel and his third question is jesse bates versus desmond ritter does iron sharpen iron who will successfully quarterback their group so to answer your first question you know when it comes to production you know i i tend not to pay that much attention to who's the most productive player because you know get my biases that's more of a fantasy football thing than a quote-unquote reality football thing i tend to pay more attention to like who are defenses game planning for. So that's how I'm going to kind of approach your answer. Like, for example, you go back to 2012, like Roddy was the more productive receiver, but Julio Jones was the guy that was 
drawing much more attention to the, from the defense in their defensive game plans. Right. Um, and so based off of that, who is going to be the guy that defenses week on a weekly basis are gearing their game plan around stopping and, and accounting for down in and down out. You know, I think the answer to that question is probably going to be B. John Robinson, uh, potentially Kyle Pitts. Um, you know, no offense to Drake London, but, you know, I, I think Drake London can kind of be the beneficiary of all the attention that those guys are getting. So he may wind up being the more productive of that trio uh, in, in being the leading receiver and getting the bulk of the targets because he's not getting quite the same level of attention. But I think I would probably lean Bijan just because Pitts is somewhat reliant on the quarterback being consistently productive in order to put up that production and be that consistent uh, guy that defense's game plan for, right? We saw that last year with, you know, if the quarterback can't get you the ball, then, you know, there's only so much that you can do as a productive player uh, in that regard. And Bijan will not have to be as reliant on the quarterback uh, to be productive. So we'll just sort of have to see. And not to mention, you know, of those two pass catchers, Pitts and, and London, as I said, like Drake could probably be, probably will be the more productive of the two because it, it, it is a little bit easier to feed a wide receiver uh, for, or at least force feed a wide receiver. If you just want to get targets to a guy, you know, that seems to be a little bit easier to create those opportunities for an outside receiver than it does a tight end, which leads to all the consternation that so many people have uh, and frustration that people have with Kyle Pitts's production or lack thereof over the last two years. But if you've been a regular everyday listener of this podcast, at least in, in recent weeks, you know, that that isn't, not as big a concern to me, right? Again, because that's more of a fantasy football thing. Like the tape, you know, tells you, like, you know, I, I've said it before, like you watch tape, like you you know how good Kyle Pitts is, right? Uh, you just may be frustrated because he's not doing a whole lot on your fantasy team. But to answer your second question, probably the answer between Arthur Smith and Ryan Nielsen, I'd probably lean Arthur Smith, you know, just simply based off of if you told me, if you, if, if you ran up to me, you know, out of breath saying I'm from the future, um, Aaron, and you know, if you told me the Falcons have a top 10 defense this year, I'd be much more shocked if you told me that versus if you told me that the Falcons have a top 10 offense, right? Like, I, I could see the Falcons being the eighth best offense in the NFL because, as we've talked in recent weeks, you know, they have a top five running game, they're top 10 in terms of third down efficiency, they're top 10 in red zone efficiency, right? And if you check those boxes, it's going to be a very efficient and very effective offense. Maybe that's not an elite offense, right? Because, again, it goes back to speaking of 2012. Like, that's kind of what the 2012 offense was, minus not having the running game, right? Like, they were very efficient on third down, very efficient on red zone, were able to put together a lot of long drives. And so I could see this team with that sort of methodical offense being very efficient in a lot of areas, not to mention the – you know, occasional explosive play from Pitts and London and, and Bijan that at least gets that unit to being like top 15 in terms of explosiveness, right? So like that to me, you put all those things together, top five running game, top 10 third down defense offense, top 10 red zone offense and top 15 in, in, in red and in, in explosiveness. That sounds like a, an offense that should be like the eighth best offense in the league. Now, if you ran up to me and said, we got a top 10 defense, that's a little harder to move to me to believe not because I don't think the defense can be effective and good, but I don't know what, what is going to be top 10 about 
the Falcons defense, right? Like I'm optimistic that the Falcons will get close to league average, if not above league average in terms of sack production. But if you told me that the Falcons get like 50 sacks this year, I'm like, you know, did, did Chaz Green start a game <laughs> again and, and Adrian Claiborne, uh, you know, you know, we signed Adrian Claiborne to, to, to wreak havoc on Chaz Green. And, and, you know, did Chaz Green start two games for the Panthers and two games for the Bucs? You know, that, that type of thing. So uh, we'll have to sort of see about that. And then, you know, it's just like it's just hard for me to see this unit being anything more than just kind of average somewhere in that like 13 to 20 range across the board on defense, you know. And like that's a solid defense, but like that's not an elite unit. So like to me, theoretically, to answer your question, it's like I can see the offense getting towards the top of the league. I have a hard time seeing the the defense being more than just kind of league average, which is fine because we haven't had a league average defense outside of like 2017 and technically, I guess, 2020, you know, and, and since like pr- pretty much this entire decade going back to like 2012, I think it's probably the last time we, we got close to that. So, yeah, so I would say I hope that answers your question. Like I, I feel like Arthur Smith has a higher f- floor and ceiling than Ryan Nielsen does just basically like I feel like the defense is going to like this offseason to me was about raising the floor for the defense but we're still probably a couple of of key pieces a couple of young players really turning it on Troy Anderson Arnold Epichetti you know what do we get from Jeff Okuda what do we get from Richie Grant before we can really feel like excuse me this is a unit that legitimately has a chance to be a top 10 unit. You get, you get me. So uh, your last question, I'd probably go Jesse Bates just because Desmond Ritter remains unproven. So I'll, I'll take the safer bet and say Jesse Bates will do a adequate job quarterbacking his unit, which, you know, are we talking about the secondary? Are we talking about defense versus Desmond Ritter, who, again, as I just explained, the offense has greater potential with Desmond Ritter, but it may just be a situation where Desmond Ritter is kind of managing the game as opposed to being the, the thing that's sort of motivating that unit. If you, if you get my drift. So we'll, we'll see how that goes. I hope that answers your question, CJ. Uh, we'll see what other questions you guys have for in store uh, for the remainder of this week. We should be getting to the DeMarco Helens breakdown probably at the end of the week. And that will probably leave the Jovan Gwynn breakdown sometime early next week. Just uh, last couple of days been, feeling under the weather and so haven't watched as much have, have not been grinding as much Helms film and as I thought I would at this point in time so we'll, we'll get that on track uh, by the end of the week though um, so hope you guys uh, continue to make Locked On Falcons your first listen and for your second listen check out the Locked On NFL podcast it's all part of the Locked On Podcast Network your team every 